Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Henry and I founded Volant out of our own frustration with the confusing, bright and unsightly clothes we saw in badminton all over the world. But now it's so much bigger than that. Our mission is to simplify the badminton journey and show the world how incredible badminton is. So make sure you check out our badminton basics at volantwear.com and follow us on our socials at volantwear. Okay, joining us today is 23-year-old Mads Christofferson, professional men's singles badminton player, ranked number 83 in the world and ranked number six in Denmark. Some of his most recent successes include the number one men's singles in the Danish Grand Prix circuit in 2020 to 2021, the leaning Skov Shoved, please correct me if I'm wrong, Grand Prix 2020, the Aarhus, oh, this is really testing my, uh, my Danish, I don't know. Aarhus. Aarhus Grand Prix 2019 and the Polish international winner in 2019 as well. But there's more. He's also the unofficial slayer of the Migareng ambassador HK Vittinghus with a 3-0 head-to-head score against him. Now, come back to that in a moment, but he currently represents, well, I'm going to get tested again, Gentoft Badminton Club as their number one men's singles in the Danish league. However, he is also a member of Peter Gator's Academy. Many of you will have heard of that name before. And he trains with world-leading players and coaches at the national team in Bronby. He plans to compete in the highest-ranking tournaments in the sport, and we hope he gets there too. You just have to work hard. You just have to work harder than they are, because if you are not working harder than they are, they will keep being in a lead and in front of you. But it doesn't mean that you can't improve and get better yourself. So what I'm trying to say that don't focus too much of how the other guys and girls are playing, but just focus on getting better yourself. Because if you're getting better and they may be standing a little bit still, you will pass them in a few years. And again, I just love the quote that effort beats talent every single day. So don't focus too much on the guy with the good technique and the good feeling. Just focus on yourself to, to get better then you will get the good feeling at some point and, and the good technique as well. Because I think that I'm a good example of that quote and, and that story. So that's a thing I would like to stand for. That's, it's not impossible to, to do it. It just takes a lot of time and hard work. Now, welcome onto the podcast, Mads. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. No problems. We're really excited about this one. But let's quickly jump back to something I mentioned in your introduction. We actually have a follower question for you. So you have a 3-0 to zero head-to-head record against HK Wittinghus. And our follower that asked the question was, in fact, HK Wittinghus. Why do you keep beating him is the question. Well, I think I have been lucky that I have met him on, uh, on home soil uh, two times in the league. And I play... Uh, pretty good at uh, at home soil. I have been lucky to meet him there. And then, uh, yeah, I just think that the last couple of months I have improved a lot. And uh, I showed that at Oliang Masters. I also think that me and Wittinghus' game style is a little bit similar. So every time we play against each other, we get a good match because we would like to be in the 
on the offensive side and uh, don't want to play too much defense. So it's a fast game when we play against each other. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, luckily, I have been winning the matches so far. We will see next time. I hope uh, I'll need uh, Hans again in the tournament uh, in the future because uh, I love playing against Hans and uh, I think he's a great uh, sportsman. Yeah, so just to go into that a little bit more, you're saying that you both like to play more of the offensive rather than the defensive game style. So when you say the game is very fast, is that more like you're playing a lot of driving and a lot of flat shots or is it more you're taking over the net and then giving yourself opportunity to play the hard smash or the angle smash? It's a little bit depending on uh, which situations because if I'm under pressure, I want to play the drives into court because then he has harder to get the close net and then I can maybe take the close net after. So it's it's depending on the situations all the time. If he's playing a bad uh, drive, I can I can also uh, push. I don't always go for for the close net, but if I can take the net, I will I will do that because I want the lift so I can uh, use my stick smash and follow up. That's my uh, my main goal when I'm playing, but I try to uh, improve my game so I will be a little bit more like uh, waiting for the opponent to open up and then I can uh, do some counter attacks instead. But uh, I also like to set a high pace and, and uh, make it hard for for the opponent uh, physical. So yeah, I try to improve in a different way so I can change change my game style uh, also while, while I'm playing. Yeah, great. And I promised HK that in this podcast, we will unveil how he's going to get a win over you in the next game. So if you have some advice for HK for your next match, I know you probably don't want to mm. answer this, but you, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if you would like to give him some advice, now's your opportunity, Mads. Yeah, uh, my advice would be ready on the cross sticks because you know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's an uh, intern coach. <laughs> cross from so, around the head side or around forehand side? Yeah, both, both, both. both ways. Okay. Yeah, always cross. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, HK, hopefully you take that on board. Yeah, I can get more angle on the cross, so uh, that's why I'm uh, I'm hitting it. <laughs> now, Mads, you're still a very young man. I, I'm not saying HK is old, but he's definitely your senior in terms of age. Born in 97, 23 years old, coming up to 24 years old. I'm sure you have a very interesting badminton story to tell about how you got started. So why don't we start from the beginning? How did Mads Christofferson find badminton and how did he get to where he is today? Well, it started quite early. I started playing badminton training and practice badminton when I was around seven, but I actually already knew how to play because I had played with my family, who uh, most of my family members was playing. My uh, mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa on the one side and the other side, they played with each other. So uh, most of my family were playing. So of course, I also started to play. In my family, we actually have a, a farm on my father's side. And uh, in one of the, I don't know what to call barnyards, we have a court inside in that barnyard. So me and my cousins and my brother and sister were playing, in not, not a lot, but a little bit in the barnyard when we were kids. And we just thought it was fun. And then when I turned around seven, uh, I started to uh, playing badminton, uh, practicing it and stuff like that. And I started in my hometown, Djernalund. Uh, which is a small town. My father was a coach in the club, not for me the first uh, couple of years, but uh, later on, I think he was a senior coach in uh, Genoa. But then uh, after we, uh, it started to get more seriously, it, we moved to uh, Slagelse, and then we moved to Skelskøer, and then I moved to Greo, and then now to the club where I'm playing at, uh, Gentofte. So I have played in a, a lot of different clubs, but... I think that it started like just a, it was just a hobby for me. And then uh, I think it was because I already knew how to play. I, I won a lot also over kids that were older than me. And then I started to maybe take it a little bit more seriously because it was going so good. I was not the best when I was younger and I didn't have the best, best feeling or the best uh, technical skills or stuff like that. But I was, I was pretty uh, stubborn. I never gave up. I gave it all I had all the time. And then when I, I think I got 
Under 15, I got uh, selected for playing a Danish tournament, like a team match tournament, a Danish Junior Cup, where the best of uh, the Europeans are coming. So we played uh, team matches against England and France and stuff like that. And I actually won. I played a second men's single and I actually won against the, some of the best in Europe. And that gave me a, a huge motivating. So after that, I started to improve a lot. I also got a little bit taller and, and bigger. I was, I was still a, a thin guy, but uh, I got a little bit taller and I could hit a little bit harder as I grew. And then when I got uh, under 17, I actually had a, a pretty good season. I started off in the second best rank ranking in, uh, in Denmark and then I moved up to the best ranking and then I had actually a hard time the first uh, many tournament in the best rank in Denmark but I don't know in the, when I came to Danish championships on the 17 I actually uh, went to the semifinals and that again uh, gave me a huge motivating uh, factor and then I started to uh, train even harder and uh, and stuff like that so I think my story has been like I've never been like the best for my age, but I have always like had some results who gave me like a boost in my confidence. And, uh, and I think that's uh, why it has taken me so far because I knew that it would take a, hard, uh, a lot of hard work, but I also knew that I, if I put in the hard work, I would get something back. I would get something good back. Like uh, I would get selected or to a tournament or team match or something like that or making a good wrestle like uh, the Danish championships. I also have to say that my age was pretty good. So even if you were not like in the uh, top eight, you were still one of the best in Europe at that time. Because uh, as you might know, already 97 uh, has uh, Anders Anton and Erasmus Gemke. And then of course me and uh, Ditlev uh, Jerholm and uh, Mick Lingehoy and, and other guys who were pretty good at uh, and still are good. So I was busting my ass off to get on their level and I had a goal to, to be as good as they were. So I think that helped me a lot that I had something to go after and I was not the best and I was just like, I don't have to train this hard because I'm the best anyway and stuff like that. I always had someone I could look up to and practice uh, against. So uh, I think uh, that's why I have I have improved, uh, like not a huge improvement, but a little bit over the time. Consistently, I have improved. So yeah, and then I moved up to senior, and then uh, I had some good tournaments again. It came a little bit like with the time. Then I had a good result, and then that, that was going some months and stuff like that. And then I, I did it uh, good again. But uh, I think now that uh, the last couple of tournaments have been uh, improved a lot. It's hard to say because of also of Corona and stuff like that. But I played Salah Lux and made it to the quarterfinal. And I, I won against the uh, Pris Levates. And then I played uh, Oliang here last month and, and made it uh, made a good result again. So I hope that uh, I have improved so much that uh, I'm a little bit more consistent now and, and can make some uh, consistently uh, good results in the future and the upcoming tournaments. Yeah, it's a really great story, Mads, of, of what Jeff would call success building on success. You've certainly, every time you get that extra oomph of confidence from the results that you're getting, it seems that you're sort of building on and building stronger. And it's great to see that you did grow up with a very competitive environment in those key Danish players that are still very competitive at the moment. So I think that's that's really helped you grow as a player as well. And what I found really interesting was that you were throwing some really small numbers there, you know, starting badminton at seven. And before that, you were playing in a barn. I wonder what that's like, you know, to play badminton in a barn. But in terms of throughout your journey so far, it's only been 23 years. You've still got so many years to go, but I'm sure you've had Danish players that you've looked up to, whether they are past or current. Who do you look up to the most in Danish men's singles? Well, I have looked up to many uh, players, but I didn't have like an idol as some players have. I like to see all the different kind of uh, game styles when I was younger. Of course, I saw uh, Peter a lot when he was playing and uh, of course, uh, Lindan and Lee Shaway and stuff like that. I think I looked up to, to a lot of players and just uh, enjoyed the game when I was younger and was not like, I was not having a favorite like, like that. Just enjoyed the different kind of uh, game styles and uh, and I also think that's what I like about badminton, that there is no right or wrong way to play it. There is a, 
different kind of ways uh, for a lot of players. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And when you look at, say, men's singles as an event in Denmark, of course, everyone listening or a lot of people listening to this podcast will know how strong Denmark is in men's singles in, in a lot of events, but definitely men's singles is one of the events that Denmark really dominates or is really competitive in on the world stage. So what's it like being a men's singles player in Denmark? So there's, like you said, in your year, there's lots of, there's so many good players. There's many different players from different clubs. Like how competitive is it? Do you feel a lot of pressure to when you compete against the other players? And we speak to quite a few people from the UK on this podcast as well. And one of the big things that we see, or one of the big themes we see happening with the English players is that they have a lot of competition for funding. So, of course, if you get funded, then someone else might miss out because there's only a set amount of funding and money to go around. Is it similar in Denmark where it is a big battle for funding and is there a lot of pressure because there's there's such high quality there that you're always just pushing because if you don't push, you know someone else will push harder than you? Well, I think for to be a men's single in Denmark, you have to be competitive. You have to like to come to training every day and think like have this mindset that no matter what you uh, you have a, of a day, you will do your best. And if you lose, you will try to make it as hard as possible for the guy on the other side. But I actually think that the men's single we are now in uh, in Bonnbury is uh, pretty good at uh, at helping each other, but also like pushing each other. So maybe it's. Yeah, I think we have a lot of respect for each other in there and we can say we can go out on each other, but it's in a good way. It's for helping uh, each other and improve our level because I think we have this mindset that if, like, let us say, uh, Hans Christian Wiedenhus, he can see something in me and, and make me better, he also knows that if I get better, I can push him more and get something back to him so he also get better. And I think that's like the mindset right now in uh, in Bonnby that if I help you to get better, you will essentially uh, make me better because you're getting better. Because then I get better sparring and stuff like that. But of course, funding, I'm I'm actually working on finding sponsors and stuff like that. I don't get sponsored as the guys who are officially a part of the national team. I'm in there, but I'm not officially a part of the national team yet. So I don't, I don't get uh, funded uh, like some of the guys in there are doing. That's just how it is. Uh, I just have to be uh, better and be uh, accepted officially before. So I just have to use some time, more time on finding sponsors than, than they do and uh, a way to uh, yeah find some money to, so I can uh, provide myself. But that's just uh, how it is. I'm trying and I'm doing my best to get uh, get some money. So... Yeah, I'm quite. Uh, I'm not stressing about it, but but of course it would be uh, nice to get some help. But I think it's coming in a time. I'm not stressing so much about it, but I of course I know it's it's a hard uh, topic for some guys. Yeah, it could be incredibly challenging for some of the players out there, but it seems that you are handling it fairly well, Mads. But of course, if you are a big brand listening to this podcast make sure you check out Mads Christopherson and lend him a hand if you can because he's going places and hopefully he continues to build on the success that he has recently. Now, Mads, you talked about growing up playing with some of the most competitive Danish players at the moment. How old were you when you first played one of the top Danish men's singles players? I actually think the first time I played against uh, Anders was uh, that championship, Danish championship under 17, because he always played against the guys who were older than us. He and Rasmus uh, were playing against. So when we were under 15, they played under 17 and stuff like that, because they were so good at a, a young age. But then I think maybe it was the first tournament we both together. And then I met him. And actually, I think I got 16 and 14 or something like that. I was pretty happy about my, my level in that game. So I think that it also motivated me that I was not that far away. I, I thought I was I was getting closer. And if I was playing at my highest level, I could uh, do some good against uh, some of the best in, uh, in Denmark. But I also have <laughs> a fun fact is that Danish championship was playing in Gentofte. So uh, maybe I... I think I have always played a uh, good against of the we were talking about it. I met a uh, who's also in Gentofte. So maybe it's just uh, the holder is a perfect match for me. <laughs> 
you need to bring that home crowd and that hall around with you everywhere. Then you can always play like that. <laughs> so Madge, we've gone into your story quite deeply and thank you for sharing all of that. But when you look back now, you're 23, turning 24, still very, very young, but I'm sure there are things that you look back on. And if you were going to give yourself advice as a 15 year old or when you were younger, what advice would you give to yourself now that you're looking back on where you've come from? I recently got a new uh, sports psychiatrist. We have uh, been working on uh, some different mindsets. And I think the, the one has like giving me most is like the mindset of getting 1% better every day. So you're only focusing on getting 1% better every day because it doesn't seem so much. So you can like, it's uh, doable for you to be 1% better every day. And if you do that a whole year, I will promise you that you will feel that you are getting better. So my advice would be uh, like, be better than you were yesterday. Because I think it's been uh, working so great for me uh, the uh, last couple of months and weeks, especially up to uh, all the young masters where I started to think like that, that, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit tired today, but I still have to get 1% better today, even I have even if I have uh, heavy legs and uh, maybe not the best feeling and stuff like that. I just have to work my ass off and get that 1% better today. And then I have, I have done my job. Yeah, I really like that analogy or, or that that concept or that mindset because it is, when you think about 1%, you think, of course I can be one, but I can put in 1% more. Of course I can, it's only 1%. But like you said, after 365 days, you're 365% better, then that's a big difference. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the analogies I've heard is, I'm not sure if you've heard of this before, but it's more like if you are a pilot and you're flying from... I don't know, Copenhagen to Melbourne, Australia, right? And you're 1% off course when you start in Copenhagen. By the time you fly over the whole world and you try to get to Melbourne, you're going to be nowhere near Melbourne because you're 1% away from the start. So I guess that is just really the power of 1% there. So great learning experience, I think, for everyone. So Mads, with all of your experiences playing in the Danish system, I know that you talk about the sparring and the competitions you have with all of the best players in Denmark, which is producing some of the best players in the world. Why else? Do you think there's another reason why Denmark is able to produce higher level players or, or be the best kind of European badminton country? Do you, is there, do you think there's anything special that Denmark does other than having those sparring opportunities with each other? I think we learn in a pretty young age that we have to be a good feeder because it's like the mindset we have now in Brøndby. If, if you get better, I get better. If you feed good, the guy who is uh, doing the exercise and have to feed after is also trying him or her best to feed you good because you have just done an amazing job to feed good. I think we put a lot of weight on uh, on the feeding aspect in the game. So we learn uh, quite fast that, that you also have to be... Uh, it's not a break when you are feeding, you're just practicing something else. And I think that the better you are, you get, the more you understand, understand it. Because I, I still have a young players, I'm a coach in the club in Gentofte, and I still have players who are not, not ready when they're feeding. But I see that and then I tell them that they have to be ready and stuff like that. They are also practicing, like they are still playing badminton, so why not be ready? They just don't have to move as, as much if, if they were alone. So I think that the feeding culture in Denmark is uh, maybe a little bit different than uh, other places. And uh, then we're also focusing a lot on, on making as, as much of a game as possible. So we try to make it a, a really a game realistic exercises. So it's quite intense when we are practicing. So maybe we are only playing like, for instance, uh, this morning I was... Uh, doing some warm-up and then we did some multi-feeding uh, for like 15-20 minutes to get the body going and uh, doing a little bit of technique also and uh, and get the body uh, started. And then we did some uh, intense uh, two against one, one against one for like one hour maybe. And then we were completely uh, finished. We were done. We couldn't manage more in the in the head and we, we couldn't manage more uh, physical. So I think we that's that's also a, a good advice is to like when you're doing the exercises, try to 
to make it as close to a real game as possible. So if you are doing like, I don't know what you call it, around the court, tempo uh, around the court, you still have to like punish the open end if the opponent, if they're doing a bad shot, like in real game or go for the things you would go or after if you were playing a real game. So I think there is some different kind of things, but it's, it's just small details who are making the big difference. It's like the 1% almost like if you are feeling good every day, you get also a little bit better every day. Yeah, I was actually going to take it back to that 1% because there's two parts of this, I guess. Firstly, just to reiterate for listeners, there's that, you know, the feeding quality or the feeding culture is, is so important. And then the second aspect, as you said, is sort of making sure that you're creating an environment as close to match play as possible. Those are, I guess, the two key things that you talked about, Mads. And, and I know Jeff would harp on about it to his players as a coach because, like you said, bringing back to that 1%, how can I get 1% better? Well, I mean, I'm doing like all this feeding. I might as well do that to the best I can, right? So that's how you can get 1% better. Make sure that, you know, I'm talking to Jeff's players here for Jeff. Feed 1% better the next time you feed the players that uh, you're playing with. And Jeff's laughing there in the background because he, I know he really wants to talk. I'm <laughs> laughing because finally they can hear from someone else other than me. <laughs> so Mads, in terms of your your training schedule and how a men's singles player should be training and how you are training at the moment, look, a lot of listeners out there will know and understand that you train hard. That's just a given, right? You're a men's singles player, you're a professional badminton player, you're going to train hard. But sometimes they don't actually know what hard means. So would you be able to run us through your weekly schedule? Like what do you do on court? How many times are you in the gym? How many times are you doing running or conditioning or rehab or stretching or yoga or whatever that you do? So for how long is this podcast? <laughs> so it's going to be four um, hours long today yeah. because of this question. <laughs> okay, so like, so I'm a, I have a morning practice every day, not at the same time. Time is a different day. It's a ten thirty to twelve thirty, and Tuesday is normally from a eight to ten thirty. It's different from day to day, but it's quite nice to have a little bit change in the rhythm. So it's not feels like it's the same day all, <laughs> all days. But then uh, I usually have a morning practice in the morning, of course. And then I have a practice in the evening, every Tuesday and Thursday. And then sometimes, a lot of times I have uh, also Monday. And then I have also a Wednesday afternoon. And then I have... I'm right now I'm also playing a bit in the weekends, like a little bit Saturday and uh, some techniques Sunday, but just to, if I'm staying uh, home the whole weekend or going somewhere and I just don't do anything, I have actually worse legs than if I was training in the practicing in the weekend. So I have to do something just an easy practice just to get going and, and not get, uh, get too heavy legs because uh, I'm, I'm laying too much on the sofa in the weekend. But it's normally like we have this uh, kind of training where we most of my trainings is like two against one exercises or and a little bit of multi and then I play some matches. It's mostly that in the evening, uh, in the morning practices. It's in most when we are in the, in the national. It's a first warm up and then multi and then it's a two against one or one against one exercises for one and a half, uh, one hour, one and a half hour, and then you are, can maybe do some uh, a little bit of technique in the end. And then we have a, a practice at the national every Wednesday where we only play matches. And then we play for like an hour, maybe a little bit over that, uh, because then we are also uh, pretty tired. And in the evening, it's uh, the club trainings. So that's mostly like two against one exercises first, and then it's uh, two rounds of matches. So I, I know that some places they don't play a lot of matches, but here in Denmark, we we actually in the, in the club trainings and stuff like that, we're actually playing a lot. But in the morning practices, it's mostly to improve your game and not not playing too much, but uh, focusing on the technique and uh, improving your, uh, your skills and stuff like that. So yeah, and uh, gym, I do gym uh, two or three times every week. And then I also have a small program for body control and stuff like that. I, I do when, when I have time and energy to do it, uh, but that I will do like two times every week. So it's five times in the gym, but two of the sessions maybe only take 15 minutes because it's some body control. Uh, stretching, I'm pretty bad to stretch. I should do it more. 
I think it's a little bit boring, but I have to do it more. But yeah, I'm doing it uh, before practice and sometimes after if, if I remember it. <laughs> and then uh, I'm not doing uh, yoga. I also think that if you can manage to do yoga, I think you should, you should do it because I, I know it, it would be great for me if I, if I could do it. Uh, but I still, I, I'm not good at uh, standing still for, for long. So I have to try to do some more yoga because I think it's, it's quite important that you change up your schedule a little bit so you don't do, do the same things all the time. I think that's also uh, how you can improve a little bit, like always to do some different stuff. I don't say that you should one day play football instead of badminton, but I think you should try to explore a little bit of uh, meditation or yoga or some new uh, gym exercises like the ones I'm doing with the uh, body control. And I will also be posting a little bit more on my Instagram about it and stuff like that. So I will share it uh, with all, all the guys and, and girls uh, who are following me. So that's my schedule of under, uh, and I have never been the most tactical or the most and have the most amazing feeling. So for me, I have always been having this mindset that I have to actually practice more than other have to because I have something to catch up because it seems so easy when they are practicing a new stroke. They can just like, then they can do the stroke and I have to practice for a lot of hours, but I also, I know that I have to, so it's fine by me because I will, at some point I will be uh, good at doing that stroke. So it's working for me. I just have to put a, put more time in it. So that's also why I, I, I love to say that uh, effort beats talent every single day, because if you are talented, but you're not practicing uh, as hard as me, you will lose in the end because I will, I will make sure that I will practice more than you, of course. So that's uh, how I think of the, the whole uh, training situation and stuff like that and, and my, how my week is, uh, yeah, looking. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. So, look, I, I'm going to steal Jeff's thunder here and and bring it to Tony Robbins because he's he's a big Tony Robbins fan. I also love a bit of Tony Robbins, but what you just said there, Mads, uh, reminds us of the quote: "Repetition is the mother of skill." Because, as you said, you know, the more times you do something, that effort that becomes mastery, and that mastery will help you achieve your goals. So, that's really cool. And, and thank you for sharing. I know it was a, a big project for us to tell you to tell us. What your uh, what your weekly training is, and I can imagine if we unpacked the entire you know training, we'd be here for basically the Lord of the Rings version of the badminton podcast. Yeah. So we won't do that today, but hopefully our listeners out there have gotten a really good sense of what it takes to be a men's singles player like yourself, Mad. So thank you for that. In terms of talking about the sharing that you're doing of body control and just playing on court on your Instagram. You know, we've actually been secretly stalking your Instagram. And there's a couple of things that we would like to ask you about from our stalking. I guess the first thing is what's functional nutrition all about? Because you have a link on your bio to a page called functional nutrition. So what's that all about? Yeah, I actually have my bottle over here. They are providing me with all the kind of nutrition you could wish for after and under and before training. So it means that I try to, uh, it's like, this is like my, uh, something I take after my med, uh, after practice. And it's, it contains like protein and uh, calcium, magnesium, zinc, and vitamins. So it's a way for me to like make sure that I get all the good stuff. Uh, after a practice uh, or before practice or under practice. So they are providing me with a, a lot of uh, nutrition, of course. So that's how they are helping me. And I actually think that I really can't complain. After I got them, I think I have uh, improved a lot. I have felt a change in the uh, in, uh, concentration and uh, awareness when I'm, I'm practicing. Especially, I've never been a, a fan of drinking a coffee and caffeine, what to call it, because it's, it, it's so much talking about it. You get addicted to it and stuff like that. But I'm only taking it when I wake up and then half hour before I'm practicing because then I just got get this a little bit of a kick uh, before my, my uh, practice. And then I'm, I feel quite ready. And then I drink uh, another thing uh, under the practice who keeps me uh, hydrated and uh, focused along the training. And then I drink uh, after something like the uh, one I just showed uh, to recover faster. 
So I try to get the full package when I'm practicing because when I didn't have the functional nutrition, I, I actually felt that I had I had a trouble to recover fast enough between practices. So I couldn't I could do one good practice and then I was like half of energy in the next. After I got the functional nutrition, I, I actually think that I recover a, a little bit faster also because I, I'm doing something before and under the practice who are also helping. I'm not saying that you should get functional nutrition. It works for me. I don't think that everybody is working uh, the same way. So, But I think it's important that you try to explore uh, a little bit of what you can eat or drink under uh, practice. I also uh, listened to a podcast with a really clever guy called Andrew Huberman or something. He is uh, making a wonderful uh, podcast about how you can uh, improve on uh, human development and stuff like that, better sleeping and stuff like that. He is talking about like putting a little bit of uh, mineral salt or something like that in your bottle of water when you're practicing. And then, then you should get a lot of good minerals because the salt. I'm not doing that yet, but maybe I should, again, it doesn't harm you to try uh, things out for uh, a couple of days. Yeah, a little of, a bit of time. Very interesting. And I guess another big topic that we could go into and all the things that do enhance your training in recovery, in how you're feeling, and do make up those 1% things. So if, if that gets you 1% more refreshed in the morning and ready for training, then of course that can have a, a big effect. Henry. <laughs> I'm just doing the 1% dance, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so Mads, I think it was about six weeks ago, you announced that you were starting a virtual badminton academy, which of course is very exciting for you and all of the badminton players out there who, would, who are looking for an expert to follow. So take us through that. What got you started on that and what's the process? What's happening now? Yeah, it's a project I have started with my uh, my brother, my big brother, and my little sister, who is also uh, playing. Uh, my brother have been playing, but it's uh, stopped now. He's only playing a bit with uh, me and my sister if we have time to do it. It's just because a lot of uh, people are like writing to me uh, on Instagram that, hey, can you help me do, uh, with this and this and stuff like that. And then my brother, he found out about this uh, Patreon website where you can like get some donations for helping other people for making uh, some content for people. So, and then we just thought that it could be a good option to make a, like, a virtual academy and try to say to the people who are asking me to get better and they want my help that I would love to help you, but I would also, like you said in the start, that it's, it's quite hard sometimes to find money and fund yourself. And this is my way to, to try to do this and my sister way. So it's a project to start getting a little bit independent on the on the money side also. So it's just because I want to help people, but I also want to help myself. And I think that's the best option I can find out right now. That's a Patreon because you give a small amount of money and then I will I will help you give your feedback and I will I will help you create good content, more detailed content that I'm doing on Instagram. I will explain very educationally like if you were coached by me and stuff like that and just share all the knowledge i have and which are not uh, there is no not the space enough on instagram i think uh, it's it's more small videos and uh, and short videos and, uh, and more like catching the eye videos you, you can say that instead of like learning videos i i try to to do it with my do's and don'ts it's a short video where you can uh, see what's the mistake is and what's the right one one is but it's still it's still a, a very uh, not specific uh, kind of content i like actually the content we're doing on patreon it's more it's more like if you had me as a coach and i and we were going over a, a specific stroke like smash or clear and stuff like that so I hope it it will get going like it. it it's started a little bit rough because I think people are pretty much isolated right now and not not practicing badminton. So I think they are. I hopefully I I hope they are waiting for to sign up for the virtual academy so they can get on court, of course, because I know it would not make so much sense if you cannot practice the thing you are you are seeing on Patreon. So I hope that when they, it's get more open in, uh, in the world, that people will uh, 
maybe give it a try. It's uh, you can only you can subscribe for one month, and then if it's not for you, you can you can just stop. So yeah, it's just a way to uh, to fund myself and uh, to fund my sister and just win a little bit of uh, of money. So yeah. That's really exciting, Bads. And look, we'll continue to follow on that journey. And for those listeners that want to support Mads, make sure you check out Mads' Patreon. And if you're in a giving mood, make sure you check out ours as well. So anyway, with just a bit of practice for you, Mads, let's give you a bit of practice because we actually have a question here and we could take it similar. I guess it's like a like an experience for listeners, what you get from Mads if you do sign up to him on Patreon. So We've got a question here from Nihal. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Nihal. So Nihal asks, what should he learn after he has solid footwork and has mastered most shots? Also, if you have any tips for footwork or anything else, feel free to add it into your answer, Mads. Okay. Well, I don't think that you're... Yes, you can get good at something, but I don't think you can... You can always get better, in my opinion. So... About footwork, I think it's uh, something you have to to practice a lot. I don't think it's it's coming easy. It's repetition after repetition. And uh, I have made some videos about the split step because I I think uh, and I have learned from Peter that that the split step is quite important. And I can feel it now when I started to do it uh, more uh, the right way. I can feel that I don't uh, use. So much energy in all. I, like I save a lot of energy because of my my footwork now. So I think that to improve, if you have good footwork and you can you master a lot of strokes, I would say that maybe you can do a, a, a good stroke. But you should also know how and when to use it, uh, because right now I think there is in the top there is a lot of good players and they can do. And most of the players in the top of the world, they can do the same shots. But the best of the best, like top five, they are better at using the right strokes at the right time. So for me, to answer the question would be like more tactical and mental uh, side of the game to improve that. Because sometimes you can also, you know what's the right thing to do, but you feel like uncomfortable because of, your mental uh, situation in the game, and then you do your normal strokes, and that's maybe punishing you to do that. So uh, if you you have a good footwork and you uh, you think you can uh, do all the strokes, then you have to focus on when to do it and the feeling you have to get to be relaxed and so you can do all the kind of strokes. Because if you're nervous, I think you would you would do uh, probably uh, around maybe two or three variations and not not the full attack you can do the full uh, arsenal of stroke you can call that so that would be my answer yep definitely a really good answer because yeah there's there isn't an end point is there that's what we love about badminton mads is that you improve but you can always be better no matter what it is you can always be better at it um and that's what makes it so exciting and 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 rewarding to keep training and keep getting your results there so excellent answer and Nihala, I hope that you understand and you've got lots of value out of that. So, Mads, we've been talking for a little while now. We are coming towards the end of the podcast. Now, before we ask you the question we've been asking all of our guests more recently, is there anything else that you wanted to add that you haven't been able to say, but you've just really wanted to say it? That was, uh, you guys, you told me to uh, choose a main topic and I chose that I would talk a lot lot about my uh, history. And it was because I I would like to share that I I was never the best when I was younger. And uh, I think that a lot of people are like expecting all the top players to be good when they were smaller and younger. And that's not true. I think that, yes, maybe you started a a bit later than others and uh, they are doing uh, it amazing and they they maybe have better technique and feeling that you have. But that doesn't mean that, that you can't pass them uh, in, a, in a few years. But you just have to work hard. You just have to work harder than they are. Because if you are not working harder than they are, they will keep being in a lead and uh, in front of you. But it doesn't mean that you can't uh, improve and uh, get better yourself. So what I'm trying to say that don't focus too much of how the other guys and girls are playing. But just focus on getting better yourself because if you're getting better and they may be uh, standing a little bit still, you will pass them in a few years. 
And again, I just love the quote that effort beats talent every single day. So don't focus too much on the guy with the good technique and uh, the good feeling. Just focus on yourself to, to get better. Then you will get the good feeling at some point and, uh, and the good technique as well. Because I think that I'm a good example of that uh, quote and, uh, and that story. So that's a thing I would like to stand for. That's, it's not impossible to, to do it. It just takes a lot of uh, time and hard work. Yeah, what a fantastic note to finish the podcast on. And interestingly, Mads, we did have one more question by our followers, but you kind of answered already from that was already, that was from Neil Debar and how was the journey being someone who made it to the top relatively late. So I think you've kind of answered that in your response and your final note there. And I think that, that is a really important piece, a really uh, important value that, that you provided to our listeners that yes, there, there may be some super talented, super technical badminton player that you're seeing at, at, at the badminton training, but you can keep up, you can get ahead. You just need to keep grinding and just work on improving yourself. As you said, get 1% better every day. Exactly. So you can get those triple digit growth in one year, 365%, right? Now, Mads, we do have a final question for you. And it is a question that we have been asking and collecting answers for in the last, uh, I believe it's 13 podcasts now. So we have this question, maybe, maybe you've heard of this question already. So what are your predictions for the gold medal winners in the men's singles and women's singles events at the 2020, now 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games? You can only choose one, but you feel free to have a think about it and, and give us your thoughts and rationales as to which, which one you choose. I think in men's single, I think, I think and I hope that Victor Axelsen is winning. I think I can remember that he had won Japan Open before or made it to the finals a couple of times and stuff like, or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but I think I remember something like that. I just know how professional he is and I'm sure that he will get as good as he can up to uh, the Olympics. And uh, of course, I also, uh, I also want him to win because I'm, I'm a part of the, the practice up to the Olympics. So it, it, I would, uh, I would not say that I, I would feel that I have helped him, but maybe a little bit, maybe that 1%. And that would that could just be amazing. So I hope uh, Victor is uh, doing good, but uh, I would not be surprised if uh, Kenzo Momosa or something like that is uh, also playing a crazy good level or Lee Sidia after winning the All England. But I, my guess and I, my hope would be uh, on Victor. Well, on the ladies single, I think that uh, Okuhara will win. And I just think that they, like Vixa, will do whatever they can to get uh, most ready for the Olympics, especially when they are on a, on, on a home court, home soil in Japan. So I think they are, they are doing like everything they can to get the ladies' singles from Japan ready. And I just think that Okuhara, on her best level, I think she can do it amazing. So that would be my, my guess. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure at all because uh, it's badminton. Uh, everything can happen. <laughs> and it's the Olympics, so everything can happen. <laughs> it's a very tricky one when you have to predict, especially given these challenging circumstances of not really having badminton around officially back globally for long by the time yeah, we actually get to the Olympics as well. So in terms of the tally, just so everyone listening and just so you know, Mads, our men's singles currently sitting at the top is Momota, Kento Momota at eight votes, although he hasn't had many votes recently. So there is a little, there's a gap that's, that's getting much smaller now. So Kento Momota at eight, Victor Axelson at five. So getting smaller, that gap. Uh, we've got Anders Antonsen. So quite a bit of representation from Denmark here. So two out of three. So Anders have one vote. So Kento eight, Anders one, Victor's five. With women singles, we have Marin, Carolina Marin at eight votes as, as expected. I mean, she is quite a dominant player on the circuit. And then actually with your vote on Okuhara puts both Tai Su Ying and Okuhara at three votes apiece in second place. So there is a bit of a gap there between Marin and the rest, but just like Momoda and Victor in the men's singles, we might be able to bridge that gap. Uh, depending on who we bring on, maybe the more Danish players we bring on will be able to take over the uh, men's part of the, of the poll there. 
Cool. So Mads, from Jeff and I and everyone at the Badminton Podcast was actually only two of us, but all our listeners, we would like to thank you once again for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. I really enjoyed the talk and maybe in the future I can guest again. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great because I think there's there's so many things that we want to unpack as part of your journey as well as some of the key topics that we sort of touched on from a surface level today that we would really like to get on at a much deeper level. And we have really enjoyed this chat. So especially for those who are listening and who want to get more information about you or want to know more about you, how can they connect with you? I have answered everyone on my social media Instagram when they are writing me on their DM. Just send me a DM. I'm a kind soul. I will uh, answer uh, as fast as I can. And uh, I will uh, be honest in my answer as well. So yeah, you can contact me there. If you have a question whatsoever, you can just ask me. I'm just a, a normal person like everybody everybody else. So yeah. So Mads, for those listening, um, what is your Instagram handle that they should follow? Mads Trost Christophersen. <laughs> Mads Trost Christophersen. So, uh, yeah. We'll put that in the podcast description so that everyone can, can, can get it. And what? how can they find you on Patreon? Uh, it's called Basic Badminton. But if they find my account on Instagram, there is a link in uh, my bio as well to the Patreon. Otherwise, just contact me again. I will uh, answer uh, when I have time. If you are interested in, uh, in getting some more info about it, you can just ask. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, make sure you tune in to all of his videos on Instagram. Everyone listening out there, lots of value there. I've watched some of them myself. There's lots of do's and don'ts in the videos. I always enjoy looking at the don't video and thinking, hmm, I wonder what he's going to do in the do video. But great to speak to you. You are a kind soul. Thank you for sharing so much information with us and the community. And we would love to have you on again very, very soon. Thank you. I would love that. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Matt. So from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast, thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates, and someone outside your badminton circle too, because with your help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is. To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at the Badminton Podcast and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.